Well, I hope that uh, as you're looking forward to the next week and a half or so in preparation for Christmas, that you'll make plans to be here on Christmas Eve, uh, 5 o'clock, 5 p.m., and I promise we will be done by 6. We will not get you here, tell you 5, and keep you until 6.45. We will be done by 6 because I know you have things to do with family and friends on Christmas Eve, and rightfully so, and so uh, we enjoy that time, um, just an opportunity to direct our thoughts to, uh, to the Incarnation, to Christ, and sing some Christmas carols together, hear some special music, and uh, just enjoy uh, a nice time together uh, that evening. So hope you'll make plans to be here for that, as well as the Christmas caroling on Wednesday. Should be a great time to serve there. Uh, this morning, we are going to continue our series in Ephesians. So uh, not looking at the incarnation, not Christmas per se this morning. We'll uh, talk about that next Sunday morning on the 22nd. But this morning, you can open your Bibles up to Ephesians chapter 4. We're going to continue in Ephesians this morning. Let me ask you as you're doing that, why are you here this morning? Not that I don't want you to be here. I'm glad you're here. But why are you here? This morning, what are we hoping will happen this morning? What are we hoping to accomplish during our time together? Why do we do church? I'm not hip enough to use that phrase often, do church. But why do we do church? Seriously, why does Woodhaven Bible Church have a building? Why do we have a parking lot? Why do we have elders? Why do we have classrooms? Why do we have coffee, other than the obvious? Why do we have paid staff? Why do we have small groups, a baptistry? Why do we have children's ministry? Why go to all of this effort to do all of these things? Well, the new year is coming, and in the new year, Many of you will take the opportunity to make goals for the coming year. But before you do that, one of the things that people do in order to make good goals is just think big picture. What am I hoping to accomplish in my life? What is my life all about? Why am I here? What am I pursuing? And I want to do that in a small way this morning with the church. What are we all about? What are we hoping to accomplish? What is God's overall goal for the church. And you have to think big and broad like that and then work your way down to the mechanics and the specifics of what each of you are here to do and how you are to participate in the life of the church. If you have your Bible open to Ephesians 4, actually flip back to Ephesians 3. And here's the big picture goal. We get it in the same book here. Verse 8 To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things so that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus, our Lord. The ultimate big picture, broad goal of the church is to bring glory to Jesus Christ. You can stamp that on everything. Why do we have a building? 
to bring glory to Jesus Christ. Why do we have elders? Why do we have children's ministry? Why do we have coffee? All of it is here and should be here to bring glory to Jesus Christ. But you start with that big picture of putting his glory and his wisdom on display, and then you start to work down in the the happenings of the church and in salvation, and you start to uncover that Paul here is going to lay out for us in chapter 4 a very specific activity that should be what we're all about in the church. Let me show you how I kind of thought through this big, broad picture down to specifics this week. The church, you've got Christ's glory at the top. You, t- you start in a very broad way, and then because he wants to glorify himself, he redeems sinners. And then he commands those sinners to walk in a way that is suitable to their calling, to their redemption. And as they walk, they pursue unity within the body. We've seen this in chapter 4. And the way that they pursue unity in the body is they each utilize their gifting for ministry. And that's the word that I want to focus on this morning, ministry. You start big and broad with God's glory, but it's sometimes hard to get your arms around what that means. But now we're getting down to the daily life of the church. What do you do this week to honor Christ? Utilize your gift in ministry. And this really goes with this whole chapter. I mean, this is, what, this is the outline of what we've been going through. Three practices to pursue unity. You saw unity on that little diagram I gave you. And here are the practices in chapter four. First of all, we grow in virtue and love. We walk according to our calling by looking like Christ, growing in virtue and love. We remember what we have in common, verses four through six. He gives us seven ones. There's one body, one Lord, one spirit. We have all of those in common, and we focus on those central things that bring us together. And then last week, we started in verses 7 through 16, the third practice to pursue unity. This is really on the ground level of what we're supposed to do, immensely practical for us, cultivate Christ's gifts of ministry. At the most basic level, here's what we're supposed to do. We're to serve one another in ministry so that the church will grow and bring glory to Christ. So I want us to understand this morning that our church exists, of course, to bring Christ's glory, but it exists so that each of us can utilize our gift and work in ministry. Ministry is at the very heart of what you and I are called to do. Now, that word ministry, you've heard that a lot. And we all use that word, and we say we're participating in ministry, but I'm convinced that very few actually grasp what the Bible has to say about ministry and what it means to actually do ministry in the church. And so this morning, verses 12 to 16 is where we're going to be, and I want to finish up this little short series within a broader series here on chapter 4, verses 1 to 16, by talking about ministry and cultivating Christ's gifts of ministry. And I want to try to help you this morning. Hopefully this will be very practical. I want to help you understand what it means to be engaged in ministry so that you can go out and do it in response to your redemption. So this morning, 
you look under that last one there, I know you're not supposed to have points under points, I get it, but sorry, didn't know how else to do this. We're going to look at the task of ministry, the goal of ministry, and then the method of ministry here in these last few verses. Look at verse 12. This is the task of ministry. Actually, let's start in verse 11. He gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry. He makes it very clear here. Ministry is the privilege and the requirement of every saint. Not just pastors, not just elders, but every saint is to be involved in this word, ministry. And pastors and elders, those are the same person in Scripture, the same responsibilities, some paid, some not, by the church, but it's the same responsibilities. Pastors and elders are here to equip the saints, to make them adequate, to help them to do this work of ministry. So when you read this, this is actually very helpful to help explain why we do what we do on Sunday mornings, okay? Our Sunday morning gatherings, you may have noticed, maybe you've not even thought about this, but our Sunday morning gatherings are not primarily focused on evangelism. This is not a crusade for evangelism that we have on Sunday mornings. And it's very intentionally structured to not be that. Now, if an unbeliever comes in and hears the gospel, that is a wonderful thing, and that happens, and we are glad for that to happen, and the gospel is preached from this pulpit, both for unbelievers and for believers. But we believe that the Bible teaches right here that this gathering, the Sunday worship time, is a time when the body comes together of believers, we praise and worship God, and we are equipped to do the work of ministry. This is a time of training. You can think of it that way. We all come together here to be trained and equipped so that you and I can be adequate for what God has called us to do. And so it's very intentionally focused on that. Our times together are. So what has God called you to do? What task has he given you? Ministry. I say that word a lot this morning. Now, what is ministry? At the heart of it, it's the idea of service. It's used that way throughout Scripture. Ministry is service. So when you think of ministry, you are doing something, performing some task for the good of another person. It's not about you. It's about them. And you're doing something for them. And it makes sense that at the heart of the local church would be serving other people. That is suitable to our calling, right? Christ has served us by saving us and bringing us into his family. And now, suitably to that calling, we turn around and we serve those around us. Dietrich Bonhoeffer said it this way. I love this. Once a man has experienced the mercy of God in his life, he will henceforth aspire only to serve. When you understand how you have been served by the mercy of God, you can no longer remain focused on yourself. You give of your life and your time and your effort to serve others. So ministry equals service. But 
is any service that I render automatically ministry? If I do something nice for someone else, does that count as ministry? Does it become ministry just because a Christian does it? Those are questions that we need to think about. Or is there something more that God has called us to within the local church, something specific that he's given us? Well, in verse 12, the task of ministry or ministry has a very specific task to it. Look at verse 12. To equip the saints for the work of ministry for building up the body of Christ. So it's not ministry unless it has this as its aim. The end of verse 12. To build up the body of Christ. This is what ministry has the task of doing. So everything that counts as ministry builds up the body. Now, what is the body of Christ? Well, it's all of us. It's not this building. It's you and I. It's people. It's the one new man described in chapter 2. The people that have been redeemed and brought into the body. They are the body of Christ. And so ministry is people-focused. It's focused on building up people. That is what it aims at. This past year, in our elders meeting, we read this fantastic book over the course of several months called The Trellis and the Vine. And I'm sure many of you know what a trellis is, and some of you are not gardeners, like I'm not a gardener, and so you may not know what a trellis is, but here's a picture. So a trellis is something you put around your house, in your garden, can be metal, plastic, wooden, whatever the case is, but it is a structure that you put in your garden that holds a plant or a vine in place. It gives it direction and it gives it somewhere to grow and to be held up. So think of ministry as the vine. It's people. It's people being built up. And think of the trellis as the structures of the church, the building, the coffee. Small groups. Small groups is a structure, it's a trellis that gives the body the opportunity to grow and to be built up and developed. The structure is helpful, it's necessary. You, you need to have a trellis if your vine is going to grow in the right way and not just sort of scatter on the ground. You need to have a trellis so that real ministry can be done. People work can be done. And when you think about serving others to build up the body, there's a goal to this. And this is in verses 13 and 14. So we have the task of ministry, given to each one of us for the building up of the body, serving others. And the goal of ministry is found in verses 13 and 14. And here, in this goal, we have a positive statement of this goal, and then we have a negative statement of this goal, what it's moving us away from. So verse 13, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to Mature manhood to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. So what are we talking about? What's the goal of ministry? It's that we together would be built up into 
a spiritually mature people, that we would grow up to look like Jesus Christ. Now, I want you to notice here, this is not talking about you as an individual growing up to look like Christ. Look what it says. We all attain, right? Together this happens. As we do ministry and serve one another, then we all grow up together and look like Jesus Christ. In fact, one aspect of spiritual maturity is the unity of the faith. I mean, it's right there in verse 13, until we all attain to the unity of the faith. So we minister to one another to help one another grow up into the faith that we have been called to. The Great Commission explains that goal this way, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. So we help one another, we teach one another, we instruct one another so that we will together observe what Christ has commanded us. We're helping one another in that. We're focusing on what we have in common and we're helping one another to obey that. And so let me just say here, Paul understands unity to be a sign of spiritual maturity. When a church is unified, when we're working together, using our gifts to build one another up, growing deeper in our understanding of our faith, that's spiritual maturity. But on the flip side, Paul would say, if you're trying to grow on your own, if you're not interested in using your gifts to serve the body, if you don't participate in ministry, as we will define it here in a few minutes, if you're not growing with others, then that is a sign of spiritual immaturity because this growth happens together. If you're isolating yourself from the body, not utilizing your gift for the building up of the body, then there's a chance that spiritual immaturity is happening in you. So, the goal of ministry is that we would be built up and attain to the unity of the faith and, look what else, the knowledge of the Son of God. And we know the importance of knowing the Lord Jesus Christ for our faith. But did you know that your knowledge of Christ individually will not reach the depths that it should without others in the body? This is something that happens together. I know Christ better because of you, and you know Christ better because of one another. We grow together in our knowledge of him. And Colossians puts it this way. We need one another. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom. And one of the ways we do this is by singing together songs that are doctrinally rich and instruct us in our faith. And so we teach and admonish one another. That leads to spiritual maturity. And that's the positive side of this goal of ministry, spiritual maturity, but the negative side is given in verse 14. Look there with me. So that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness in deceitful schemes. So we begin as children in the faith. We're naive, we're immature, 
But as ministry takes place within the body, we move away from being children. That's the goal. God does not want to leave us there in spiritual immaturity, in divisions, in isolation from one another. And so he's given us leaders within the church to equip us for the work of ministry so that we can grow up and leave behind spiritual immaturity. Now, no offense to any children in the room, but one of the realities of being a child is a certain amount of gullibility, right? I want to show you a a brief comic strip from the greatest comic ever written, Calvin and Hobbes. All right? If you can't see that, Calvin says, Dad, how do people make babies? And his dad says, most people just go to Sears, buy the kit, and follow the assembly instructions. And Calvin, horrified by this, believing him, says, I came from Sears. And his dad says, no, you are a blue light special at Kmart. Almost as good and a lot cheaper. And of course, he comes unglued. And thankfully, we have Calvin's mom here shouting from the other room, dear, what are you telling Calvin now? She brings the truth to bear on the situation. Calvin buys it just because it's his dad, right? And and that's the way it happens with children oftentimes, especially when they're very young. They will believe almost anything you tell them. Now, Calvin's mom brings the truth to bear here, but in our spiritual lives, it's much more dangerous than this. Look at the rest of verse 14. So that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness in deceitful schemes. To be spiritually immature, to be young in the faith, is to be tossed about by popular teaching to go from teaching to teaching and not be stabilized on the word of God and not be grounded and rooted in the truth. Children are unstable. They lack firm direction. They lack clarity sometimes in knowing exactly what to do. And we don't want to be like that, spiritually speaking. We don't want to be tossed about with everything that comes down the line. When I read this description here, of children tossed to and fro, I I think of my dog. And I think of my dog being outside on a walk, and I can't imagine the pace at which thoughts go through my dog's head when she sees different things. A bird, a squirrel, a tree, the mailman, all within 10 seconds, and nothing will hold her attention for more than two or three seconds, and she's interested in everything. It's the most fascinating thing she's ever seen. And I think Christians are like this. We sort of go from, oh, this will solve my spiritual issues. This will solve my problems. This will fix everything. And we go and we get the latest book in the Christian bookstore or on Amazon. And we go from teaching to teaching and we lack firm direction and stability. We're tossed to and fro. Anything new and shiny immediately grabs our attention. We jump into it. And the danger here, you can see at the end of this verse, is that much of this teaching is born out of deceit. 
It's intended to trip us up. It's intended to deceive us. It's intended to confuse and lead Christians astray. It causes further and further immaturity. And so Paul says here that the antidote to that immaturity is ministry. Pastors and elders equip the saints for the work of ministry, and when ministry happens, we will not be tossed about by every wind of doctrine. Spiritual maturity happens. And as we grow together, we are stabilized and we're firm no matter what the culture, the world, or even other Christians offer to us. And we grow to mature manhood and we look together more and more like Jesus Christ. Now, we've talked a lot about ministry this morning, okay? But I haven't actually defined it for you yet. If it's this important, then we need to understand exactly what it is that we're talking about. I mean, if ministry is how we move from being spiritually immature and tossed about to looking like Jesus Christ, then we better understand how Paul defines ministry. What is the core practice of ministry? What are we getting at here? This is in verses 15 and 16. There, there are two parts to this. Look at verse 15. Rather, and here it is, speaking the truth in love. We are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ. At the most basic level, our involvement in the church to bring Christ glory, remember that top goal there? Daily, what are we supposed to be doing? What is ministry? Speaking the truth in love. It's the opposite of verse 14, the deceitful schemes. We counter the deceit and the cunning with the truth. When we come together as a body, we come together to speak the truth in love. And so the truth of God's word is the very center of what we do. This is the center of ministry. This is how we grow. This is how we find stability, not tossed about. You and I are united around the truth. And this is why the truth, why God's word is the center of our ministry. This is why it has to remain the center of our ministry, because this is how we become what we should be the truth. And let me say, this is not just the case for the pulpit ministry on Sunday morning. I mean, that's a key part of this. There's no denying it. What happens in this pulpit on Sunday morning shapes the life of the church, but it doesn't stop there. Paul is not just saying that ministry happens when one of the elders speaks the truth from the pulpit. This happens any time you are participating in the life of the church. Any time you're doing something in the life of the church with another person in the church, speaking the truth in love is when ministry takes place. It's when it moves from just being a social gathering to ministry. When you and I speak the truth in love. So this could mean you and a friend get together for coffee. 
And you talk about God's word. You talk about what you're learning. You speak the truth in love. This could mean sharing the gospel with an unbeliever. That's ministry. Some coworker, a family member over the holidays, you speak the truth. You bring God's word to bear on their circumstances, on the situation. This could mean teaching a children's class. This is happening right now. People are speaking the truth in love and doing the work of ministry so the body will be built up, so people will be changed. This could mean sending a note to someone else in the body, a note of encouragement, bringing biblical principles to bear on their situation so that they are built up, so that they grow. You can see in verse 15, this is how we grow to look like Christ. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ. It's interesting in verse 12, building up the body of Christ there happens through ministry. And in verse 15, the body grows and is built up through speaking the truth in love. And so ministry equals speaking the truth in love. Now, when you hear that phrase, speaking the truth in love, when I hear it, what I often think of is saying something that's difficult to hear in a nice way. Well, I'm just going to have to speak the truth in love, you know. They don't want to hear it, but I got I to speak the truth in love. That's not what Paul means here. Now, I hope that if you have something that I don't want to hear, that you do speak it in love and in a nice way, right? I hope that happens. I hope you're doing that. But that's not what Paul means here, and that's not the definition of ministry in the local church. Paul is saying that ministry in the body is defined by speaking, discussing, clarifying, and exhorting a fellow believer with the word of God. And you do that because you love him or her, because you want what's best for them. And what is best for them is to hear the word of God, to have it brought to bear on their circumstances, on the way they're thinking so that they grow up to look more like Christ. And so they're stabilized in the midst of the craziness that is our world today. This is how we grow. This is vine work. It's ministry. Let me read you a little something else from Bonhoeffer. It is inconceivable that the things that are of utmost importance to each individual should not be spoken by one to another. It is unchristian consciously to deprive another of the one decisive service we can render to him. The basis upon which Christians can speak to one another is that each knows the other as a sinner who with all his human dignity is lonely and lost if he is not given help. This is why we speak the truth in love. You and I are sinners saved by grace and I need the help. You do too. And we need each other. And I love how he says here, it is unchristian consciously to deprive another of the one decisive service we can render to him. Man, are you and I functioning in ministry, offering the service that we can to one another, the way God has gifted us through his word by speaking that word to one another to build up, to correct, to exhort, to encourage? That's vine work. That's ministry. 
So ministry, speaking the truth in love, is the first part of this. The second part is in verse 16. And here we find out that it's, it's actually necessary for everyone to do this, for the body to grow. Verse 16, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. So let me, let me change the way you read this a little bit, all right? And I think this is appropriate. So the word joined, from whom the whole body joined, let's change that to connected, right? Those are synonyms, basically the same idea there, joined or connected. Then you see the word joint. When you and I think of a joint, we think of an elbow, a knee, a shoulder. And that's fine, but what happens at a joint is two body parts come in contact with one another. They are connected there. And so this has more the idea of contact happening than a specific body part. So he's not talking about, okay, you're a joint, and so we really need you to be active in this. What he's talking about is any time two members of the body come in contact with one another and speak the truth in love. All right, so let me reread this. From whom the whole body connected and held together by every contact with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. So equipping growth happens every time throughout the week, Sunday mornings, a phone call, a note, coffee, every time you and I engage in ministry to one another by speaking the truth and talking about God's word, that contact is made and the body is equipped and built up. Ministry happens as each part does its part. As each person in the body engages in ministry, the whole body grows together. So what does this actually look like? So one of the things that pastors and elders here from time to time, not just here at Woodhaven, but at other churches as well, is there's nowhere to serve in this church. There's nowhere to do ministry in this church. Well, if this definition of ministry is right, and ministry is about speaking the word of God to another believer in love, then the opportunities for ministry are literally unlimited. There's always ministry that needs to be done because there are always broken people who need to be encouraged and built up and they need to hear a fellow believer speak the truth of God's word. There's always ministry that can happen here. So to do ministry, you may see someone who's relatively new in the faith. Maybe they're, they're new to this church and you invite them over to your house you ask them to go out for coffee and you ask them questions about their spiritual journey, about their story, and maybe you share how you came to Christ with them and you speak the truth in love and they are built up and encouraged and God's word is solidified in their heart and the body grows. There's a contact made there that is centered around the word of God and ministry happens. The body is built. 
There are a million other examples. We could sit here all day and go through example after example of ministry taking place in the life of the church. Now, you might be sitting there thinking, okay, that's really intimidating. I'm not the type of, I don't have the personality to do that. I'm not the type of person who could do that, who could initiate like that, and that's not me. Well, let me gently challenge you and encourage you this morning, okay? All right? The fact that we've never thought of ministry this way doesn't excuse us from participating in ministry like this. Because this is how the body grows. This is our responsibility. But as we think about this as our responsibility, the reality is you're not left alone in this. You're not thrown out on an island and told, hey, you better do this or else. Look at verse 15 again. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head. So the goal of our growth is to look like Christ. But then look at verse 16. From whom the whole body connected and held together. Where does our strength and our motivation and our desire to do this come from? It comes from our head. We're the body and it comes from Christ. Ultimately, he is the one who gives us the vitality and the motivation and the understanding of ministry so that we can can do this. You, if you're a believer, are loved and adopted and brought into the family by a savior who longs for your spiritual growth. He wants you to look like him doesn't want us to remain children. He wants us to grow up. And so he is going to equip us and provide opportunities and motivation so that we can mature as believers. He will sustain and empower you by his spirit to do this. And one of the ways he has provided for you is that he's given leaders to the church whose very job is to exist it is to equip you for this they exist for that role and they would love nothing more than to help you identify how you can participate in ministry because like you they want to see the body built up and mature and grow to look like Christ so bringing it together the task of ministry in verse 12 is that the body would be built up, and it's all of our responsibilities that the body is built up. The body is people. So ministry, the task is that people would be built up. The goal of that ministry in verses 13 and 14 is spiritual maturity, not instability and immaturity in verse 14. And that goal happens, verse 15, as we speak the truth in love to one another. As we all do that, when each part does its part, the body grows. We exhort, we share, we discuss, we confront, we encourage with the word. So let me, let me challenge you, start small with this. If this is mind-blowing and you've never thought of it before, think of one way that you can participate in ministry to a person this week. One thing you can do, one opportunity to talk 
about God's word and what you're learning and to encourage someone with God's word this week. Pursue some vine growth this week. It's really great to have a nice trellis painted all pretty and beautiful and new and put together. But if the vine never grows on the trellis, if people aren't built to look like Christ, then why are we spending all of our time on the trellis? Let's pursue people. Why should you do this? Because ultimately exercising your gift within the body, gift of ministry, in love, is how the church grows to look like Jesus Christ. And he's honored and glorified through that. Let's pray. Father, this is uh, both a, a privilege and a responsibility for us. What an amazing reality that, that sinners have been given your word in our hearts, that we understand your gospel and your good news, and then that you have given us the privilege and responsibility to convey that word to others, to speak the truth and love to one another. And you allow us to participate in the growth and the building up of your bride, of your body, of your temple, that we have that high and holy privilege is an amazing thing. And so I pray that you would, you would help each one here this morning to evaluate how they are participating in ministry in the life of the church, and that you would give us the the motivation and the desire that you would sustain us by your Holy Spirit so that we can see growth in our body and so that we can be more effective in our, our culture, our community, and that Jesus Christ will receive praise through that. Thank you for all you've done. It's in his name we pray. Amen.